Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, how are you doing? Welcome to this episode of the Karma You podcast. I am Chloe Brotheridge. I am your host today and forever on this podcast. And today I am doing a Q&A because I've had a lot of questions sent in by you guys and I posted on Instagram asking you to send in some questions for me. I get a lot of questions sent to me and I'm not always able to answer everyone individually. And I, I do try to answer all the questions that I get, but unfortunately it's not possible to answer all of them. So I am trying to kill two birds with one stone and answer some of them on the podcast so that hopefully you know there are going to be many of you that are relating to a lot of these questions and um, I'm really excited for this episode today just getting the chance to share lots and lots of ideas for all different types of anxiety questions that you have and also just general general lifestyle kind of questions that have been sent in as well. I recently celebrated a year um, birthday of my book The Anxiety Solution So that was very exciting and I was just reflecting back on this time last year when I just released the book and understandably I was feeling quite quite nervous about releasing it. I was nervous about my mum reading it, what my my family was going to think and I've spoken to quite a few other authors and something that comes up a lot is that when you're writing a book you almost believe that probably your mum's the only one that's going to ever read it. So anyone that has you know anyone that does read it is just a bonus after that and it's really blown me away the response that I've had from the book I get messages every single day from people who um, have been helped by it someone came up to me in the pub on Sunday and said thank you for writing this book it's helped me so much Um, and now my friends think I'm famous basically now so I've got massive kudos in their eyes Um, so I just wanted to reflect back on that and say thank you for all the support that everyone's given me with the book Um, I am just really grateful to have had the opportunity to write it and to get to share my story and share what I've learned about anxiety so I'm going to get into the questions now and I'm going to give you the best answer that I can I if you feel like any of these questions really resonate with you and you'd like me to go more into more detail about anything that I'm discussing today, then send me a message on Instagram. I'm at Chloe Brotheridge and let me know and I will go more into depth on these topics um, in another episode. So the first question is from Natasha and she's asking about what we can do in anxiety in children and how how can we avoid passing it on to our children if we as parents are anxious and this is something that I hear quite a lot and it is a big concern for people whether they've got children already or whether they're thinking about having children 
and they have anxiety themselves and there's a big concern about passing on the anxiety to their children. So firstly, I just want to say, take the pressure off yourself. There are no perfect parents. It's basically guaranteed that to some degree, you're going to mess your kids up. That is just inevitable. That is part of life. We've all been slightly messed up by our parents. And that's not to say that it is parents' fault because everyone is doing their best. You know, parents always want the best for their children. Well, nearly always want the best for their children. And, you know, you are doing your best. So don't be too hard on yourself. Don't have this expectation that your children are going to be perfect or, you know, they're never going to struggle with anything because that's not realistic. So take that pressure off yourself. It's inevitable that you're going to somehow mess your kids up. Sorry to say that, but it's the truth. The best thing that you can do is to take care of yourself and to look after your own mental health. And then you're going to be setting a good example for your children. You're going to be in a better place to take care of them. And if you're looking after yourself, then you're less likely to be perhaps passing on some of those habits um, and patterns that could create anxiety in your children. And yes, there is an aspect of genetics at play when it comes to mental health, but it is not the end of the story. Genetics plays a role, but there is so much that we can do that we can use to overcome any genetic predisposition. So please don't get too concerned or caught up with this idea that just because you, you know, had anxious parents or you're you're an anxious person that you're going to pass that on in your genes to your children because it's not the case. So taking care of yourself first, whether that means getting therapy, making time for yourself to take care of yourself, really trying to make that your priority. And I know that your children are going to be your number one priority, but as much as possible, taking care of yourself and having that high up on your priority list, because the more you take care of yourself, the better you're going to be able to take care of other people. And that is absolutely the truth. It's not selfish to look after yourself. It's not selfish to take time to relax, to um, unwind, to have time for you. It's actually essential. And so really trying to look at your priorities and adjust them. And if you're somebody with anxiety or any kind of mental health issue, you're going to need to potentially spend more time looking after yourself than someone that doesn't have anxiety. You're going to need to potentially invest more time and energy in looking after yourself than someone else. So really trying to make that your priority is important. The next thing I'd suggest about anxiety and children is try not to avoid the things that cause anxiety. So say you've got a child that is really nervous around dogs, for example. It might be easy just to say, right, we'll avoid all situations where where there are dogs. So if a friend has a dog, we won't go around to their house. We'll avoid going to the park because there are dogs there. And the problem with doing this is that you just perpetuate the fear when you avoid a fear. And actually this goes for any anxiety, anything that you're scared of. If you avoid it, you are affirming to yourself that it's, that it's dangerous, that you should avoid it, that you should stay away. And unfortunately, that can tend to make anxiety worse. And then if there comes a time in the future when you do have to face that fear or you do come across a dog in the park, 
then it's going to be so much worse if you spent a lot of time avoiding it. So step by step, try to encourage your child to challenge themselves and not avoid the things that make them anxious. So whether that's just looking at pictures of dogs on the computer or looking at dogs from a distance, first of all, and then trying to get a little bit closer and then progressing to stroking a friendly dog and really doing that step by step and encouraging you know, their bravery in that regard. So don't avoid the things that make them anxious. Another thing that I would suggest, and this is probably more of a preventative measure and a long-term idea to be thinking about and it's this idea that it's really important for us to know from an early age that failure is okay because a lot of us myself included have been brought up with this sense that failure is not okay it's not acceptable many of us were not allowed to fail if you think back to school um maybe on sports day Everyone gets a medal, no matter whether they came first or whether they came last. Everyone gets a medal. No one has failed. And there's been this attitude in society that we should prevent children from failing because it protects them somehow and it will help their self-esteem. But actually, it's been found that the opposite is true. Unless we learn that failure is okay, then we grow up with a fear of failure. And that means that we're going to hold ourselves back We're going to avoid situations that could be, you know, potentially situations where we could fail. So it can cause problems in the long term. And certainly for, this is a bigger problem for women, actually, that women tend to be more overprotected than um, men. So little girls were more overprotected than little boys in general. And I know that's a massive generalization. And that has caused, you know, a generation of women to really fear failure and feel that failure is not okay so how can you have an atmosphere of encouraging not necessarily encouraging failure but letting your child know that it's okay to fail and that is just part of life and it's a stepping stone it's a learning experience and no one is perfect and that it's really okay not to be the best not to do things right really trying to encourage that attitude as much as possible and then lastly my last tip on this is to try not to overly reassure children. Now, it kind of sounds counterintuitive because probably your instinct is to reassure an anxious child. And yet life is uncertain and we can't always know how things are going to turn out. But what we can do is to reassure them that even if things don't go to plan, that they will handle it. And this is such an important message whether you're a child or whether you're an adult to remember that we can't control so much of our lives but we can trust ourselves to be able to handle things and when we're anxious it's all about thinking about the future imagining that things will go wrong and also imagining that we won't handle them and 99% of the time when we find ourselves in a challenging situation we end up handling it better than we thought we would because we all have resources and strengths within ourselves that we don't necessarily know about until we're tested. So really trying to remind your child or even remind yourself that we have resources within us, we can cope with things, we can handle things, and to instill that sense of trust in themselves rather than reassuring them that things are going to be fine necessarily. 
So my next question comes from Anxiety Guru. Thanks for sending this question in. And they're asking, have you taken any positives from having anxiety? And he's also asking, what's your favourite quote about mental illness? And his is, I think it's a he, apologies if not. Um, His is, mine is, it's a disorder, not a decision. So that's that's a nice quote. So have I taken any positives from having anxiety? Absolutely. I've learned so much about myself. I've seen myself make so much progress. And I love looking back and seeing how far I've gone. And we can all do this. There have all been ways that we have learned things, that we have made progress. You know, it might seem like even if you're stuck right now, even if you feel like you've taken a step back, there will have been progress that you've made. And sometimes it just takes a bit of focus and a bit of looking to remember, you know, the progress that we have made. I like to think about how I've been able to turn the worst thing that ever happened to me, which was having panic attacks, into the best thing that ever happened, which was being able to write a book about it and help lots of people with that book. So I'd really encourage you to try and find some meaning in what you're experiencing, because when we can find meaning, it gives us a lot of strength and it gives us a, an ability to have motivation to move forward and to feel inspired and also remembering that if life was easy all the time we wouldn't learn anything if we were just coasting through life we wouldn't necessarily get that depth of meaning that comes from seeing ourselves handle these challenges and go through challenging experiences and darkness and learn about ourselves and grow as people through those experiences so trying to find the meaning in what you've gone through I think is really important I think as well for me having experienced feeling low and feeling anxious it's given me a lot of compassion for other people and it's meant I'm able to have a lot of empathy for other people and that is such a strength and such a gift to be able to tap into that and from what I've learned about people with anxieties we tend to be you know slightly more sensitive more empathetic more compassionate people probably in part because of what we've gone through ourselves we know what it's like to really struggle with our minds and you can use that compassion and empathy to help other people and to be a nice person and to be caring towards other people and that is really a strength and then just to answer the second part of that question which was do you have a favorite quote about um, anxiety or mental mental health and the first quote that came to mind with me was don't believe everything you think and I can't find who that is attributed to it says unknown as I tried to search for it but that's one of my favorite quotes because thoughts are not facts we'll often have all these crazy thoughts self-doubts negative thoughts about ourselves and if we can remember that they're not facts and we don't need to believe everything that we think we can start to get a little bit of freedom from those negative thoughts Okay, so the next question comes from Vivian's Lifestyle. Thanks for this question. And it's about post-traumatic stress disorder. And she said she's tried medicine and therapy, but is there any other advice that I can give? So if you're experiencing post-traumatic stress disorder, or if you suspect that you might have post-traumatic stress disorder, 
it really is something that needs to be addressed with therapy. Please don't suffer on alone. Please don't struggle on and hope that it will get better by itself. It really is something that needs to be addressed by a professional. And there is a certain type of therapy called EMDR, and it stands for Eye Movement Desensitization Reprocessing. So I won't go into too much detail about EMDR, but it essentially involves thinking about or talking about traumatic experiences and moving your eyes from side to side. Or sometimes therapists will ask you to hold a buzzer, one in each hand, and the buzzer will buzz um, one hand after the other. And what it's doing is just helping you to reprocess um, the traumatic memories. And you can read up online more about how that works. I don't fully understand it myself because I'm not an EMDR therapist myself but there is a lot of evidence that quite quickly it can help you to process traumatic memories and traumatic experiences and also you know psychotherapy is helpful CBT is often recommended for post-traumatic stress disorder as well another thing that I'll really recommend for PTSD is a book called The Body Keeps the Score and you can find it on Amazon it's one of the best-selling books on Amazon. It's um, a very popular book and it's all about um, syncing the mind and body and using different techniques from exercise to yoga to mindfulness, meditation, drama, lots of different approaches to get you to process trauma and the idea that actually we store trauma in our bodies and probably lots of people can relate to this if you experience a trauma it can feel very bodily anxiety is a very physical experience I'd actually recommend this book for anyone with anxiety generally but particularly for anyone who has experienced trauma in their lives Um, it just helps you to you know use your body to feel better essentially so I'd really recommend that for you there's another book as well called Waking the Tiger by Peter Levine and he um, invented a type of therapy called somatic experiencing, which again, I'm not going to go into loads of detail about it, but it's about feeling your feelings and feeling the uncomfortable feelings, feeling the pain, the sadness, the anger. And by feeling your feelings, you allow yourself to process them. There's a saying that I really like called, you've got to feel it to heal it. And if we can really allow ourselves to feel our own feelings, we're we're able to process them. And so they don't hang around in the body and we're not replaying them in our minds again and again. So definitely look into somatic experiencing as a type of therapy. Waking the Tiger is a book that is about that. So I hope that helps to give you some ideas, Vivian. The next question is from Coley Baby. And they are asking about health anxiety and things that they can do at home to switch off from it. Firstly, I just want to say when it comes to health anxiety, it's horrendous. I mean, some people laugh about hypochondria and it's kind of seen as this kind of silly thing that some people have. But actually, health anxiety is horrendous. I have had my own experiences with it. I used to get really obsessed with little aches and pains or I'd feel a little twinge in my stomach and I'd be my mind would spiral into all of the things that it could be and honestly it's horrendous it can ruin your life so my heart is really going out to anyone who is experiencing health anxiety Um, it's actually a type of OCD 
obsessive compulsive disorder and you can feel as though you are obsessing over symptoms and your mind goes to the worst case scenario possible. Um, the NHS recommend cognitive behavioural therapy. I have worked with a number of clients with hypnotherapy to help them to recognise those patterns, to step back from them, to stop them from taking over. And again, the book, The Body Keeps the Score, I think would be really helpful for anyone with health anxiety. Another thing that I would suggest is to write down what your worries are, to write down what your thoughts are, what your concerns are, because when they are just going round and round in our heads, our thoughts can seem much more sinister. And if we can get them down on paper and get them down in black and white, we can start to get a little bit of perspective on them. And we can just start to take them a little bit less seriously. So I'd always recommend for anyone really in any type of anxiety to write down what you're worrying about, to write down what's on your mind. And then secondly, and this is a cognitive behavioral therapy technique, to answer back to that thought in a really rational way. So first you're writing down your worry, and then you're thinking about what would a really calm and rational friend have to say about this thought? How would they put it in perspective? What's a rational way of looking at it? How can I answer back to that thought? And by doing this, you are starting to change your perspective and you're starting to create a new neural pathway in your brain that is going to help you to think about that situation in a new way, in a more rational way. And you will probably find that this causes, you know, creates some comfort straight away, but it's something that you need to repeat and do often and continually get into a habit of answering back to your anxious thoughts. And before long, they start to become more and more automatic and you start to find that automatically you're thinking about things in a more rational way. So I hope that gives you some ideas and things that might help. Beth Preston is asking about public transport anxiety and how she gets nervous about things like getting on the bus and, you know, will she find a seat getting off the bus and that sort of thing. So firstly, taking some deep breaths, sometimes in situations where there's nothing else we can do to calm ourselves other than breathe deeply. And the breath is all we have in those moments. And I just want to remind you to breathe deeply in any situation where you're feeling anxious, to really breathe into your belly, to let your belly expand on the in-breath, let it flatten on the out-breath, And when you're doing this, you are sending a message to your nervous system and telling it to relax and sending a message of safety to your nervous system. So breathing deeply. Secondly, really get present. Get present with what you're doing in that moment, with your environment. So as you're getting on the bus, put all of your attention on what you see around you. Really notice your environment, notice people's faces, notice the things that you can see out of the window. Tune into the feeling of the floor of the bus under your feet. Notice the temperature of the air around you. Um, Really getting present in the moment and noticing your surroundings and tuning into your senses can help to get you out of your head and help to ground you and 
stop you from spiraling into anxiety. Another thing you can do is just to acknowledge what you're feeling, because whenever we label what we're experiencing, we feel calmer, naturally. So labeling emotions is incredibly important. And they found in brain scans that when we label our emotions, and that might mean just saying to yourself, I am feeling anxious, I'm feeling nervous, I'm feeling unsafe or uncomfortable. Whenever we're labeling what it is that we're feeling, we calm down and they found in brain scans that it calms the amygdala down when we do that. There's another saying that I really like and it's, you've got to name it to tame it. So I want you to remember that, you've got to name it to tame it. Whenever you're really acknowledging what it is that you're feeling, it helps to calm you down. And then lastly, I want to say to to try and challenge yourself, whatever it is that you're afraid of, again, it's like children and the, the child and the dog, don't avoid the situation that you're scared of. Don't avoid getting on the bus. Don't avoid getting the train if you've got a, a phobia of public transport. Try to challenge yourself, even if it just means getting on the bus and staying on it for one stop before you get off and then building up from there. And every time that you challenge yourself and every time that you do something that you're nervous or anxious about, you're going to be affirming to yourself that it's safe, that it's safe to do this, that you're okay. And then your your unconscious mind and your body is going to learn that you are safe and it's going to get easier and easier, but you've got to challenge yourself. I have a question from Anna Gilson and she is asking about nighttime anxiety and she's experiencing health anxiety, waking up in the night, having panic attacks, Um, again this is something I hear a lot from people I want to suggest that you write down what it is that you're worrying about before you get into bed so some people like to keep a notepad and a pen by their beds and every night before you go to sleep brain dump your worries so whatever's on your mind whatever you're thinking about whatever you're concerned about write it down And it really is a way of getting things in perspective, of offloading anything that might be concerning you. Um, So yeah, really have that brain dump practice before getting into bed. And also thinking about what you can do during the day to take care of yourself more, to instill more calm into your life. Because if you've got a hectic day, if you're rushing around, if you're putting loads of pressure on yourself or beating yourself up during the day, then of course that tension has got to come out somewhere. And for lots of people, it will come out in the night, whether it's having panic attacks in the night or struggling with sleep or having nightmares. So do what you can to be calm during the day. Make time for yourself during the day. Build in breaks. Make things like exercise and meditation a priority in your day. And you're going to give yourself the best chance of a peaceful night. So next question Just a Big Violin has asked what my opinion is on anti-anxiety medication such as antidepressants and have I ever tried them? Um, And if so, was there a positive effect? So I am not a doctor and anything to do with medication or, or anything like that needs to be something that you discuss with your doctor and please do your own research into this. You know, please know that I'm not a medication professional, so please do your own research. I have never tried antidepressants. As a teenager, I was prescribed propranolol. I can never say that, propramarol, um, which is basically a beta blocker, which is often prescribed for panic attacks and for things like 
public speaking for people that have a racing heart when they're doing things like public speaking will often try things like beta blockers. Um, for me at that time, I didn't find it worked because the panic attacks were so intense that it didn't seem that the beta blockers made much of a difference. I have never been on antidepressants. Um, however, I would not discount them personally. I would, I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of negative things around antidepressants and I know lots of people take them and doctors are very willing to prescribe them because often there's not much else that they can do. Waiting lists for therapy can be, you know, months and months, if not up to a year, unfortunately. And so doctors often don't have anything else to suggest to people other than medication, which is probably why they get prescribed so often. Try to try to think that antidepressants are a tool and in certain cases, it might be that they are right for you. Many people find them helpful. Other people might find that they try them and don't find them so helpful or the side effects they don't feel are worth it. Um, it might be something that you speak to your doctor with, that, that you try and really keeping that communication going with your doctor and with your loved ones and you know, staying in touch and monitoring how you get on with the medication that you're on. But I certainly wouldn't discount them because if you're really desperate and you are not able to access any other help or support, then it might feel like that's your only option. And so definitely don't beat yourself up about that. Antidepressants are a tool and they can be helpful for people. So please don't beat yourself up about that or be really scared about that if you feel like it's your only option right now. And I think it's really important to say that, you know, antidepressants can play a role and yet there is so much that we can do ourselves to manage anxiety and manage things like depression. There's so much that we can do and anxiety and depression are not necessarily caused by a deficiency in serotonin because so many other factors can come into play. Our upbringing, you know, trauma in our childhoods, you know, the family relationships and family dynamics that we grew up in, our lifestyle, so many different factors can come into play that we can make changes in, we can do work to heal trauma and to overcome challenges from our upbringings that might still be affecting us now. We can make changes to our lifestyle. We can make changes to our brains by doing things like exercising and meditating because they do have physical effects on our brains, positive effects. So there is a lot that we can do and it's really important to remember what we can do and to take steps to address, you know, the root cause of why we're anxious in the first place rather than thinking that we just need to take a pill for the rest of our lives because that isn't necessarily the case. But definitely keep in touch with your doctor and do your own research on this one. Tess is asking, and again, this is something I hear a load, She's saying that when she's in a place of anxiety and depression, that it's so easy to naturally gravitate towards things that perpetuate it. So for example, sitting on the couch and watching TV all day and watching kind of negative crime dramas when you know you should be doing other things that are going to help you to feel better, but it's very hard to try and do those positive things when you're in such a negative state of mind. And Tess is asking what we can do to try and get out of that cycle. And it's this is such a, an important point and it's actually one of the biggest challenges, I think, especially when I'm working with someone with depression or very severe anxiety, is that 
when you're really in it, when you're really in a bad negative cycle, it saps your motivation. It uses up a lot of energy and it can feel very difficult when you're in that mindset to make a change and to have the energy to do the things that you know would probably help you to feel better. And I think it's something that people often don't understand, especially about depression, that it's not easy just to go out and have a run or to, you know, talk to a friend necessarily or to, you know, spend some time outdoors or whatever it is, or even to get out of bed. Let's face it, if you're really depressed, getting out of bed can seem like an impossible task. And that's something that people don't often understand about sort of mental health issues is that, you know, it's so easy to think, you know, you can, you should just go for a walk, but it can feel like the hardest thing in the world when you're depressed because your motivation just isn't there. And so I'm just want to let you know that I'm really, yeah, understand how difficult it is. And I'm feeling you on this one and just sending you my support and my understanding if I can at all. And just trying to remember that you're not always going to feel that way, that even if you're depressed or very anxious, that motivation goes up or down, up and down. So there are going to be days when you feel better than others and to try and do the things that help you to feel good on the days when you feel a bit better. I also want to suggest that it's important just to try and set really small goals and intentions for yourself. Don't berate yourself because you're not able to go out and run 5k. Make a really small goal. Create really small changes and make them very specific. So it might be about just setting a goal to have a shower that day. It might be about having a walk, but telling yourself, right, I'm only going to go for 10 minutes and then I'm going to come home again. And doing things like scheduling things into your diary can be really helpful if you're someone that struggles with the motivation to change things, if you want to get out of that cycle. Because something something as simple as just having something in the diary can make it a bit more official, can give you that impetus just to get started. So setting really small, specific goals, maybe having a short walk, having a bath, having a shower, you know, texting a friend, anything like that. And you'll probably find that doing little things for yourself, you're going to create a sense of momentum and it's going to be easier to do more once you get started on doing things. And I really want to remind you just to be kind to yourself if you're struggling. Don't beat yourself up. If you're struggling, what you need in that moment is compassion and care. When we beat ourselves up, we sap our motivation even more. And in the same way as if, you know, if we look at another human being who's struggling, our natural inclination is to, you know, feel compassion and to feel that our heart is going out to that person. And yet when it comes to ourselves, so often we're so hard on ourselves, we beat ourselves up. Even when we're struggling, we're really struggling with something. And I really want you just to try and step into that place of compassion for yourself when you're struggling and to be kind to yourself, even if you are just sitting on the sofa and watching TV all day. And maybe that's just what you need to do on that day. Just being kind to yourself about it. One of the suggestion on this, I mean, I could talk about this all day. Maybe this is a topic for another podcast, but to try and have someone to keep you accountable. And I was listening to a podcast by Gretchen Rubin recently, and she is the author of 
The Happiness Project, and also more recently a book called The Five Tendencies. And she was talking about habits and how the most important thing we can do to try and keep our healthy habits is to be accountable to someone else. So who can you agree with that you're going to make certain changes? So can you ask a friend to keep you accountable, to meet you at that exercise class or to make sure you make it out to the pub quiz on Sunday? Letting your friend know that you're struggling with motivation and keeping up habits and maybe, you know, if you're depressed, you're isolating yourself and it's so easy to want to keep yourself to yourself when you're in that state and not get out there and not see people but trying to reach out to friends and letting them know that that is a struggle for you and asking them to keep you accountable to whatever habits or to seeing people or whatever it is that's going to help you to feel better and that could help a lot with that. So I had planned to answer a few more questions in this episode but seeing as this is already over 40 minutes long I'm gonna leave those questions for now and do perhaps next week or the following week um, another section of Q&A so that this episode isn't too long and you can get on with the rest of your day or you probably finish your commute now or you finish your gym workout so I will leave that for another day Um, please get in touch if you have any questions for me if there's anything that you would like me to answer I would love you to get in touch best way is probably on Instagram because I'm hanging out there the most you can find me on Instagram at Chloe Brotheridge. I want to invite you as well, if you haven't already, to come over to my website, which is karma-u.com. And if you visit my website, and if you especially go to karma-u.com forward slash free, you can download a free guided relaxation session, which I made specifically for people who find it hard to switch off, who struggle with anxiety, who want to be more calm and confident and it helps you to get into this very deeply relaxed state and start to make some positive changes within your subconscious mind so that in your day-to-day life you're calmer you're more at ease you're less tense and so i really want you to um, consider heading over there to get that mp3 if you haven't done already it'll also mean you'll be added to my mailing list and you'll be the first one to know about new podcast episodes and events that i'm doing Every now and again, I make little freebies that I give away to my newsletter subscribers. Um, So I definitely want you to be involved if you think that might interest you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope it's been helpful. Um, Please do subscribe to this podcast and leave me a little review if you've got a couple of minutes. It helps to support me in the podcast and gives me inspiration to keep going when I see your lovely, lovely reviews. So thank you so much to everyone who has written reviews already. Um, And I hope that you're going to tune in again. Thank you so much. And I'm sending you lots of love. Bye-bye. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.